Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of Paint by Murders. I'm your host, narrator, and author, M. Travis DiNicola. Paint by Murders is an original mystery novel. It is the first in a series of Harrisburg Homicide Mysteries. In the last episode, Keith and Ginger speculated that maybe Trevor wasn't guilty, but if not him, then who? At the gallery, they chat with Charles Beckett and Patience Gray and learn more about Jane's secret support of the gallery and Trevor's relationship with Jane. They also learn about Patience's past working relationship with Moonshine and Moonshine's own suicide. Rose shows up distraught during a search of Trevor's apartment. A brick with blood on it is discovered, and she begs Charles to help. Each episode of the podcast, dropping once a week, will feature subsequent installments from the novel. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the story. Chapter 31. Keith and Ginger wanted to console Rose, but there really wasn't anything they could do for the girl, so they quickly took their leave to go to dinner. After all, they were still hungry. Instead of going to Cork's, which was right across the street from the gallery, they decided to get as far away from there as possible and walk up to Noted, which they actually preferred, and it was just around the corner from their house. The small cozy bistro took up half the first floor of an old Queen Anne home and was known for its creative menu. They started with wine and salads. For the main course, Ginger had roasted marinated portobello caps with an herb oil balsamic reduction and pine nuts. Keith had the stuffed quail and an order of mussels. For their dessert, they each had a Sazerac cocktail made perfectly with bourbon and a touch of absinthe by Andrew the bartender. During dinner, they had agreed not to talk about Jane or Trevor or Moonshine, but by the time the after-dinner drinks arrived, Keith couldn't hold back. Okay, so just to get this straight, Jane secretly supported Patience's gallery and Moonshine's legacy. Jane, Patience, and Beckett secretly made up the trust. He was speaking quickly, trying to get all the words and thoughts out in one take. And Trevor, Jane's only relative, who blew through his first inheritance and then fell on some rough times, though he was still being supported by Jane, killed her with a moonshine-like brick to the head in the bookstore to get what he thought would be another inheritance, but instead it went to supporting the birds. And now Trevor is in jail for murder after playing moonshine at the gallery, secretly funded by Jane. Yep, I think that pretty much sums it up. Lots of secrets in this cozy town. Ginger raised her glass, then enjoyed a long, slow drink of her Sazerac. You know, these really are the perfect cocktails, and you only need just one. Two would be too much. Do you think Trevor planned it, or was it a crime of passion? I can't imagine he thought ahead of time that the bookstore would be the best location for a murder. Definitely a crime of passion. Ginger paused to admire her drink. Andrew really knows how to use just the right amount of absinthe in these. Just a whiff. Keith knew that his wife probably had enough of art and murder for one night and was trying to change the direction of the conversation, but he couldn't stop. Not yet. So where did he get the brick? Was he just carrying one around with him? Maybe he kept it from his moonshine performance as a souvenir. But those bricks were white, so they couldn't be mistaken for forgeries. Patience said the brick Trevor used was red, like Moonshine's originals. I wonder if it was a Bee Brothers mold. Maybe it was a Moonshine original, Ginger finished off her Sazerac. I was thinking that, too. If it is, I tell you, Patience is going to completely freak out. I would bet she's checking her inventory right now to see if any are missing. I mean, that would be awful. An authentic Moonshine brick is a murder weapon. Sometimes a brick is just a brick. Are you going to finish your drink? Because if you don't want it, I can help you with it. 
Keith looked at his cocktail. More than half was left. I thought you said two would be too many. Two might be, but one and a half would be just fine. Ginger gave him a loving smile. Keith took a healthy sip and then set the glass down in front of his wife. Here, you go ahead and finish it. Thank you, sweetie. So, I think I'm going to check out the plan air event tomorrow. Really? Ginger gave him a knowing look. Outside? Yeah, it's supposed to be fairly mild tomorrow, and I've been wanting to get out of the studio and out to the river to paint before winter comes, and this is good incentive. I'll bundle up. And it has nothing to do with that girl? Ginger's eyes were tightly focused on his boring in Sweetheart, Keith began. Then Ginger waved him off. I know, I'm just kidding you. I think that painting on the river sounds like a lovely idea. What time are you going? Relieved, he said. Well, the website said it started at 8 in the morning, but I'll probably get there a little later. Ugh, why so early on a Saturday? She asked as she finished off her drink. You want to get the best light, but still have interesting shadows. By midday, the light's too flat. So why not start at dawn, she asked, then quickly added, not that I'm suggesting you do. Because the light and shadows move too fast then for most artists to keep up with. Okay, well, you have a great time. I'm going to be sleeping in. Chapter 32. The next morning, the cats were curled up asleep with his wife, enjoying their catter day while Keith tried to get ready quietly. He grabbed the brushes he used for painting with acrylics, rolled up in a canvas wrap for traveling, his portable French easel, a backpack loaded with paints, pencils, pastels, and other supplies, some 11 by 14 pre-made canvas boards, a couple bottles of water, and a shade umbrella with a tall collapsible stand. Loaded down with his equipment and his down vest, he walked over to the river and took the path to the wider part of the park where artists from the association were meeting up. Not even halfway there, the weight of all his tools reminded him why he seldom tried to take his studio outside. Still, it was a beautiful day with crisp, clear air and a bright fall morning light. He was looking forward to talking with some other artists and getting some work done, and maybe not thinking too much about Jane's murder. To paint plein air means to paint in the open air, outside. It's a French term from the 19th century and was first associated with the Impressionist. Today, there are a lot of plein air groups who will often paint simultaneously in the same general area. Some traditionalist plein air painters are very strict that the work must be completed entirely during one outdoor session, or a la prima, an Italian term meaning at first. This direct type of painting is all about observation and being in the moment, observing the light. No photographs of the subject they're working from are allowed, no working on the piece afterwards in the studio, and some other crazy rules that Keith generally ignored in his own practice, but was willing to follow them for the day if he had to. You would think that people who painted outside would be easygoing, and some of them were, but Keith found many to be tightly wound rule followers. He hoped this group would be the easygoing type. It was closer to 8.30 by the time he arrived, and a dozen artists had set up their easels around the park and down by the river, probably taking the best spots already, he thought. It was likely the last day of the season that there would be any good turning leaves to paint. Keith cursed himself for not getting up earlier, then he noticed an area by the river that hadn't been nabbed yet and started to head towards it when he heard his name called out. Keith! Keith! I need you to sign in first before you take your spot! It was Alicia, of course, bundled up in her scarves. She was sitting behind a folding table under a white pop-up market tent, the kind that most artists used at outdoor art fairs. I've got hot coffee! she added to sweeten the deal. He walked over to the tent and said good morning to her, trying to be friendly but professional. 
He didn't want to give her the wrong idea. Alicia made a point of saying it was nice meeting his wife and then checked him in so that he would be eligible for a prize later and so that they had an official count for their records. She was trying to be all business. He graciously accepted her offer of coffee, taking a minute to set down all his equipment while he poured himself a cup. Amped up donated the coffee, Alicia said, referring to a local coffee house chain. It's excellent, Keith replied. Is there a schedule or anything else that I need to be aware of? She seemed to relax, being able to answer a specific question, and spoke in statements again, mainly. Nope, not really. We do this once a month, even in the winter. People just show up and paint. I mean, you have to be a member and all, but that's only to win a prize if you want to be official. Everyone turns in their finished piece around noon or so, and then I'll take them back to the association where we'll hang them up in the entryway for a week. The prizes aren't much, just gift cards to amped up for the top three, but still it's something, right? Keith agreed it was, and asked if there were any specific rules he needed to know about. Well, we're not too strict. Not Everyone finishes during the session, and some people do take their work home to complete, but if you want to be eligible for a prize, then you must finish it here today. And if you want to sell it at the association, then we get 10%. That's about it. What about any painters here you think I should meet? Hmm. Let's see. Alicia put her chin in her hand to indicate that she was contemplating the question. Have you met the gallery director, Miss Carey, yet? Keith said he hadn't. Well, she isn't here today anyway. Then Alicia hit the side of her head three times with the tip of her index finger. You'll want to say hello to David Douglas. He's the older gentleman over there with a big straw hat. Mr. Douglas is probably the best plein air painter around here, and he is a traditionalist about it. He wins almost every month. His paintings of the Susquehanna are amazing. Keith remembered the name from when he first visited the Association Gallery. He had been impressed with Douglas's work and said so to Alicia. Does he mind if people speak to him? Some artists loved it, and others minded quite a lot, which always seemed strange to Keith. If you were going to paint in public, then he thought you really shouldn't complain when the public wants to watch or even talk to you. Oh no, he's totally fine with people talking to him, but don't talk with her. Alicia nodded her head to a woman Keith quickly recognized as Heidi the Bird Lady and lowered her voice. She's still kind of new at this, just started classes this year, and it makes her really nervous if she thinks someone is watching her. And if you talk to her, she gets totally freaked out. She's had to leave early a couple times. Then why does she come? She told me she likes the company. Okay, noted, he said with a smile. Anyone else I should know about? Keith asked as he sipped his awfully good coffee. Nope, I don't think so. I mean, everyone's really nice and will chat with you. I mean, except for Miss Flyterbaum. It's a laid-back group for plein air people, if you know what I mean. Keith said he did. He thanked her again for the coffee as he gathered up his equipment to carry it down to the river where the location he saw earlier was still open. He'd be right across from a grouping of rocks that formed a small island, breaking the flow of the current. Three egrets rested on the rock pile. Jane would have liked that, he thought. To get the angle he wanted, Keith had to set up his easel on an uneven area of broken concrete where the bank met the sidewalk. It was a bit awkward, which he supposed why the space was still available, but it would still do nicely for his purposes. Keith used a cardboard viewfinder to frame what he was looking at, in a way similar to a movie director using his hands to create the frame of the camera, and then made some quick Naton sketches on paper with a soft 6B pencil to determine the composition he wanted. He was going to take advantage of the slightly higher viewpoint he had from the riverside to focus on the rocks in the foreground 
in the bottom right of the canvas, with the river and then the sky stretching out behind. From his viewpoint, the old shaky bridge cut across the right side, but Keith decided to ignore it and leave it out of the painting. Artistic license. He painted from observation, but that didn't mean he always painted exactly what he saw. He painted what he interpreted and remembered. Once he had the composition set, he pulled out five tubes of paint. Keith wanted to limit his colors to greens, blues, yellows, whites, and browns for this piece. With the works he sold through the galleries, he used only oils, giving him more control and time to create the images he wanted. But oils were expensive, and with all the mixing and maintenance they required, plus the solvents, he didn't like the hassle of using them outside. Keith knew some plein air painters who swore by oils outside, but for him it was acrylics. Blue dominated the sky and the river, so he squeezed out some cerulean blue on his palette. After thinning it with a few drops of water, he began applying the paint with a flat brush over the entire canvas to create the underpainting, essentially a monochromatic image of the painting. This allowed Keith to confirm the composition while experimenting with value and texture. This was not paint by numbers. When he was done with his underpainting, the image on the easel looked like a slightly blurred vintage black and white photograph, except it was blue and white, of the small rock island with egrets in the middle of the Susquehanna. As the first layer of paint dried, though this was more metaphoric than literal as the acrylics dried quickly, Keith decided it was time for a break and walked back up the hill to meet David Douglas. Hi there, Keith said as he approached the painter in the large straw hat and paint-covered blue smock over a coat. Hi yourself, said the man looking around his easel to see who was talking. Despite the hat, he had the permanently sunburned skin of someone who had spent the better part of their life outdoors. Keith guessed him to be at least in his late 60s, maybe older. I hear you're David Douglas. Yep, that's right. And I hear you're Keith Reed, said David with a smile as he kept moving his brush across the canvas. Keith appreciated the recognition. I've seen your work. It's impressive. Keith circled around so that he could see what David was painting. He was using oils, of course. Likewise, David said as he continued to apply a very thin glaze of yellow ochre over his painting of a dozen planar painters in the park by the river. The glaze was bringing out the highlights of sunshine poking through the leaves and dappling the water. Keith remarked on the effectiveness of the glaze and then added, Looks like you're almost done. Yep, getting there. How's yours going? Pretty good, I just finished the underpainting. Then you still have a ways to go, son. What are you doing chatting me up? Asked David with a laugh. You're not going to win any coffee with that approach. Yeah, you're right. I just wanted to introduce myself. I hear you're the one who found Jane, David interrupted. Keith said that was true. A horrible thing, that is horrible. David shook his head. I didn't know her well, but she was a fine lady. Keith said that was true as well. Her son was a real arsehole, though. Keith wasn't sure he heard the man correctly. I'm sorry, did you say son? I didn't realize Jane had a son. Oh, yeah. Arthur, I knew him, hell. He took painting classes from me almost 40 years ago. Lots of talent, but no idea what to do with it. And he was mean. Not just like a lot of kids are, but actually mean as a snake. And he was usually stoned. Made his parents and everyone around him miserable. David stopped painting the glaze and stepped back to see if the painting was done. He made a slight nod and started cleaning his brush as he continued. You don't say this about many people, and when I go, I sure as hell hope no one says it about me, but... When that kid died, I don't think anyone missed him, not even his parents. Keith was taken aback by the cruelty in the man's words. He had to ask, how did, um, how did Arthur die? David thought about this as he began to put his paints and brushes away. You know, 
I have no idea. It's been so long. I I just remember there was some accident or something. With almost everything packed up except for wiping down his palate, David said, Whoops, almost forgot, and grabbed a thin-pointed brush to sign his name on the bottom left of the canvas. Yeah, that kid was no good, but his parents were really good people. Now, if you don't mind, I need to finish up here, and you need to get back to your painting if you plan on finishing before sunset. David laughed as he said this and patted Keith on the back. Keith said thanks, and that it was nice to meet him, and then headed back to his own easel with plenty to think about. He tried to focus on the painting, but it felt like his hands were moving automatically and not very well, and his mind kept going back to Jane having a son. Keith was tired. He started working too quickly with thick impasto strokes that were even heavy for him. If he continued, the painting would be a disaster. He quickly scraped off the top layer, keeping the underpainting intact, so that he could start again after a nap. Why not, he thought. It was a beautiful day. The sun was starting to warm things up just enough. He probably wouldn't be napping outside in his porch hammock anytime soon. Right there in the riverbank, he threw down in the grass the extra smock from his backpack, lay down on the ground, set his phone alarm for ten minutes, and pulled the canvas sun hat he brought along over his face. Within moments, he was half asleep and dreaming, his brain bifurcating, one part on guard, aware enough to know he was outside by the river and that there were people around, the other part drifting downstream, thinking about Jane's arsehole son, Arthur, a talented painter, an angry young man, dying young. Chapter 33 Keith, are you okay? Someone was there, touching his arm. Mr. Reed, can you hear me? It was Alicia. He opened his eyes and said he was just fine, just taking a little nap. She apologized and he told her it was all right, though she looked worried. He glanced at his watch. It had only been eight minutes, but his head was clear now. He thanked Alicia and again assured her that he was fine, then turned off the alarm on his phone. Must get back to work and finish this painting, Keith said to her as she started back up the hill. This time he worked quickly and with precision, his mind able to focus completely on the painting. The strokes were still thick but controlled. He finished before noon, picked up his gear, turned the painting into Alicia, and headed back home up the river path, thinking about Jane's dead son and wondering if his death was connected to hers. But how could it be? The other thought that entered his head was that solving a mystery was an awful lot like making a painting. To be an artist, he also had to be a detective. Each blank canvas was a question looking for an answer. It was his job to work through the process to discover it. As Jane said, it all came down to what he was paying attention to. He would start with identifying his subject, the question, and then work through the layers. Sometimes, like today on the river, he would go down a wrong path. The picture would get muddy and he'd have to remove some paint, go back, and try another direction until he found the truth he was looking for. The timeless question that artists are asked, and often asked themselves, was, how do you know when you are done with a painting? When do you stop? You stop when you are done. You stop when you solve the puzzle. Keith doubted his abilities to be a detective, though. he had even wondered why he was trying to play one at all, but now he knew this was what it was. He had been a detective for his entire career, only now he was using these skills to solve a murder instead of solving a painting. And if the process was the same, then right now, if he was making a painting, he would see that things had become muddy and he would have to backtrack and remove some layers. It was easy to be distracted by red herrings, in mysteries and in art. The doubt came back. But what if it wasn't a red herring? What if the answer 
was down the path he had already chosen? Was he risking erasing something that was worth keeping? Just like in his painting, he had to trust himself. He didn't need a blank canvas, but he had to go back to what he first started with. He needed to go back to the bookstore. Keith dropped his plein air gear off of the house. Ginger was awake, if only just recently. They had planned on going to the market for lunch, but she needed some more time to get ready. That was just fine with Keith. He could go to the bookstore, and she would meet him there in a half hour or so. Then they could grab some food at the market, which was just across the street from the bookstore. He started off down his own street, Pennsylvania, and had planned to cut over to Verbeck, the main cross street, as he usually did to go to the bookstore, but he changed his mind. If he was restarting a painting, he wouldn't do the same thing again. He would take a different path. So he cut through an alley between his street and the store. It was an alley that he had walked by, but never gone down. And that's when something caught his attention. In the alley behind an old house that was being renovated, he saw it. A pile of red bricks. Chapter 34 Keith's mind was racing while he and Ginger were having lunch in the noisy market. He hadn't told her about the bricks yet. Rarely would they try to have much of a conversation in the market because it was so loud and busy, instead just focusing on their food. Keith was having Korean and Ginger was having Greek, and he was quietly thinking about red bricks and red herrings when something else caught his attention. They were having lunch at one table with two completely different lunches from different places. One didn't take away from the other as long as they didn't try to mix them together. It was like when a subject matter needed more than one painting to capture everything he was paying attention to. It occurred to him that this was exactly what he was doing with a series of porches, proving his point to himself. One painting wasn't enough to show everything he saw. This wasn't a whole series of puzzles, though. There were just two. Who killed Jane? And what happened to Jane's son? Keith began to think of them as mystery paintings. If there were two, and he tried to make them into only one painting, then it would just be mixed mud. But if he painted them separately, he could go down two paths and have two different paintings that were both worth looking at. Two different ideas, two different solutions, two different mystery paintings, both need to be sketched out separately. He might just need to take two naps after lunch, he thought to himself, one in the hammock and one in the chair. He let out a small chuckle at his own joke. Ginger had noticed. Okay, what's so funny? Uh, nothing, nothing you would find, nothing you would find funny. Just one of my little jokes to myself. I'm so glad you can entertain yourself, she said with a smile. You're playing detective, aren't you? Before he could answer, they were interrupted by a booming voice. Well, hello there. It was Stephen with Adam sidling up to their table, their arms heavy with canvas grocery bags. What are you kids up to today? Oh, just the usual, eating lunch and solving murders. How about you two? asked Ginger. Nothing that interesting, I'm sure. We only came here for the food. Adam's grilling out some brazino for dinner tonight. Stuffed with fennel, lemon, and parsley, added Adam. Did you say you're solving murders? Just one murder, not plural, mumbled Keith, feeling slightly embarrassed. Yet, added Ginger, who knows where this could go? Keith may have a whole new career ahead of him. I assume you're referring to the late Miss Jane, asked Stephen. You should be a detective too, Stephen, answered Ginger. Ha-ha, replied Stephen. Adam couldn't stop himself. With his gaze on his partner's midsection, he said, Well, you're at least the size of a Perot, maybe even a Nero wolf. Stephen just glared at him. Adam smiled back sweetly and then asked, Are you really trying to solve her murder? Isn't that what the police are for? And 
don't they already have her nephew in custody for it? They do, said Keith, but I just think there's more to it than that. Trevor may be guilty, but there's more to the story. Sounds like you got a theory, said Stephen. I'm starting to. Not quite there yet. I'm still talking through it. Talking through it with whom? You haven't told me anything yet, said Ginger. You know what I mean. I'm talking through it with myself. I'm, I'm going to talk through it with you later. You better, mister, said Ginger. Well, once you two lovebirds are done talking about it, if you want a third and fourth opinion, let us know. We're always up for good gossip, said Stephen. Or mysteries, added Adam, as he not subtly elbowed Stephen in the ribs. Right, mysteries. Well, we're off. Have a great weekend. And they all said their goodbyes. After they finished their lunches in the stone building, Ginger and Keith went over to the brick building to pick up some groceries Keith had forgotten to get the day before. As long as the weather stayed nice, they were grilling outside as often as possible. For later, they had planned a pizza with lots of fresh veggies. The pizza crust from the hippie market worked perfectly on the special pizza stone Keith had for his grill. When they got home from the market, Keith napped and then later wrote some notes to help him work through his thoughts before sharing them with Ginger. They had finished their dinner and were sitting out in their fenced-in back patio, wearing heavy sweaters, sipping Chardonnay in the dusk as the sun went down. The fire from their mod fire outdoor fireplace provided warmth and light. The cats, sitting inside behind the screen door, looked out at them with envy. Ed and Hop were strictly indoor cats, even with the closed-in patio. It would be too easy for them to climb the fence and run out into the street. It wasn't a risk worth taking. Keith looked at their sad faces and wished he could explain it to them. Instead, he told Ginger what he had learned that morning. What a sad story, and that he died so young. It seems too weird that her son dies in some mysterious accident, and then years later she's murdered? You don't think they're connected, do you? Ginger asked. It doesn't seem possible, does it? I mean, they're com- probably completely unrelated, he said, thinking of his multi-painting theory. But you don't really believe that. I don't know what to think. They continued to sit there a bit, sipping their wine, enjoying each other's company on an otherwise pleasant evening. Keith broke the silence. So, I saw this big pile of old bricks outside the bookstore today. I think I know why Jane was killed. Ginger's hand went up, silencing him. Talk about burying the lead. You're only telling me this now? Well, yeah, he said sheepishly, then tried to continue. So, I saw this big pile of bricks... Okay, honey, hold that thought. I really want to hear this, but do we have any more wine left? You've been listening to episode 11 of Paint by Murders. Thanks to Pixabay.com for the music. Come back in a week for the next episode. If you'd like more information about the project or have comments you'd like to share, please do so on the social media pages where you found this or email me at paintbymurders at gmail.com. I'm your host, narrator, and author, M. Travis DiNicola. Thanks for listening.